you'll remember to when Brother Jonathan preached last, he, it was his first time, and he said he was quite nervous. And uh, I'm quite nervous. It seems the more I've done this, the more nervous I get. And back here, there's a vent where the air conditioner blows, and it kicked on a while ago, and when I felt it, I was glad. <clears throat> it gave a great cool to me. <clears throat> As our lesson text presented, this morning we'll be studying who is he. On the Damascus Road at the time of Saul's conversion, when Christ appeared to him, Saul asked two very timely questions. The first one was, Who art thou, Lord? And the second was, What would you have me to do, Lord? And it seems oftentimes as preachers and teachers, we often teach the answer to the second question, What would you have me to do, Lord? Without first answering, Who is he? Certainly, it is very important that we understand who Jesus is. So who is he tonight? In the long ago, Pharaoh asked, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Exodus 5.2, Who is he? At the coming of Christ, people asked, Who is this that even forgives sins? Luke 7.49, Who is he? Old King Herod asked, Who is this about whom I hear such things? Luke 9, verse 9, Who is he? And when Jesus stilled the tempest and calmed the storm-tossed sea, they said, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is he? When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that donkey and colt, some shouted Hosanna and laid down palm branches before him. Others said, who is this? Who is he? And then there was that man who was born blind. And when Jesus gave him sight, Jesus asked him, do you believe in the Son of God? And he said, Lord, who is he that I might believe on him? John 9, verses 35 and 36. Who is he? So certainly it is very important that we understand who the Lord is. Everything in heaven, everything that is in the balance, depends on who the Lord is. Jesus said, except you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. John 8, verse 24. And again in John 8, verse 28, he says, when you lift up the Son of Man, you'll know that I am. But what do you mean? except you believe that I am. You see, we have to seek out the rest of the conversation here in John 8 to understand the answer. Throughout this chapter, the Pharisees are speaking with Jesus. And the Pharisees are looking for a Messiah who's going to set up and rule over an earthly kingdom, correct? But Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And he said, unless you believe in me, you shall all likewise perish. And so as we read here in this chapter, when Jesus said, except you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins, we see the word I am. We saw it again in John 8 verse 28, when you lift up the Son of Man, you will know that I am. And then finally, we see it again in John 8 verse 58. He says, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was born, I am. You see, as they discussed this, the Pharisees said, um, as they were talking with Jesus, uh, they were seeking about things and telling them that they were free from sin because they were of Abraham's offspring. And so this is how they thought they had salvation. But when Jesus said, no, you must believe in me, otherwise you shall perish, well, then they sought to kill him. And so in verse 40, it says, but as it is, you are seeking to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, this 
Abraham did not do. Jesus says that Abraham didn't seek to kill him. So does this mean that Jesus saw Abraham? And as the Pharisees and Jesus continue talking, we see this question in verse 57. They said, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus gives the answer, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. As, they, as Jesus continued throughout this chapter, and he asked the first two questions that we mentioned, except you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. They were understanding that Jesus, using the term I am, was going back to another place in time. And then there in their minds, they were understanding this time and place in which Jesus was referring to. And so when they asked that last and final question, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham, they were expecting a negative answer. They were expecting Jesus to say, no, no, that you misunderstood. But Jesus affirms a very positive answer. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, Jesus is taking himself back to the place and time in Exodus chapter 3 when <clears throat> Moses is talking to God. And Moses is about to go out to the sons of Israel and proclaim the message that God has told him. And he's concerned about who he should tell them that has sent him and told him to give this proclamation. And so God says in verse 14, I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am who I am. The term I am in the Hebrew is Haya, H-A-Y-A-H, for those of you who are taking notes. Um, this word typically means I am or I will be. <clears throat> we see an example of both in Exodus 3, verse 12. And he said, certainly I will be with you. Certainly, Haya, with you. But we also see the same Haya term in verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Haya, Aher, Haya. So this word Haya has two different meanings. It means I will be, and it, both, it means both I will be, and it means I am. How could it mean both? Well, this term asserts deity. And we know that God is eternal. And so it can be used as both a past tense, a present tense, and a future tense because God is eternal. He is the existing one. And when this term I am is used, Jesus used it in a term to say that I am God. I am the existing one. And so now we understand why the Pharisees sought to kill him. We see in verse 58 of John chapter 8, that they picked up stones to throw at him. Why? Because he made himself out to be God. But let's notice something a little further in our study of who is he. In verse 15 of Exodus chapter 3, And God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So this takes Jesus, who claimed to be the I Am in John chapter 8, this takes him back even further to before Moses. It takes him back to before Abraham, before Isaac, and before Jacob. So who is he? Well, he is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Jesus tells us in John chapter 8 that Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Why did Abraham rejoice to see the day of Christ? 
because Christ lived and was the God of Abraham, why did he rejoice to see that day? Well, if we recall in Genesis chapter 17 and 18 that God told Abraham that he would be blessed with a son and he would become a blessing for all generations to come. And so this is why Abraham was glad to see the day of Christ. So he said, who is he? He said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he continues to say in verse 15, This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. A memorial name. Have you ever thought about that? Memorial name. A memorial name is a name to be remembered. Or it could be referred to as a name which keeps remembrance alive. Now, Brother Eddie, I must admit, I have a pretty catchy name. Everybody remembers my name. It's very memorable. Trail. When I meet somebody new, they usually have to say it two or three times because it's so catchy and it just latches on to them. And oftentimes I've noticed that two out of every ten women that I've come in contact with who are young ladies seeking to be mothers, they'll often exclaim, Oh, Trail, I'd like to name my children Trail. So it's very catchy, but it's memorable, not memorial. For you see, the name of God is a memorial name. See, with my name, when I die, they can't just put Trail White on Tombstone and everybody know who he is. There has to be a description. Here lies Trail, down and dirty, or something. But with God, it is not so. Because his name is his description. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Jesus, in Matthew 22, verses 32, he uses this same language. If you want to turn to your Bibles to that verse... Matthew 22, verse 32. We'll begin reading in verse 31. He says, But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So who is he? He says he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Why? Why? Because in John 8, verses 35 and 51, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. The living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. John 8, 35 and 51. He also said in the book of John, chapter 8, He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. John 8, verse 12. He said, I am the door, John 10, verses 7 and 9. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, verse 6. I am the resurrection of the life, John 11, 25, giving life to even them that die. And he also says, I am the vine, John 15, verses 1 and 5. And finally he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as my Father knows me and I know my Father. And I have other sheep, and I must bring them too, and they shall hear my voice. Are you hearing the voice of Jesus? Are you adhering to his words? Who is he? When you hear the voice of the good shepherd, do you follow what he says? Do you follow his instruction? After all, Jesus is the word, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word, or the word was with God, and the word was God.
You might want to turn to that passage. We're going to look a little bit deeper into it. John 1, verse 1. And verse 2 says, He was in the beginning with God. And notice verse 3 in particular. All things came into being by Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So what does this mean? Jesus is the Word of God. And verse 3 says He is the Creator. He created all things into existence. And might I say He did that spectacularly. Verse, or Hebrews 1, chapter two, 1, verse 2 says, In these last days has spoken to us His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He also made the world. Jesus is the Creator. And how did He do it? Well, Hebrews eleven three says He spoke it into existence. Why? Because He is the Word of God. And so we see from Exodus 1, when we see the several examples of when God created certain things, when it says God created light, and he spoke it into existence. God said, let there be light. Which God was it? Was it God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit? We'd all have to admit it was God the Son because he is the word of God. So who is he? Let us now turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Let's look at verse 6. <clears throat> For a child will be born to us, a son will be given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now, depending on which translation you have, uh, the first name given will either say Wonderful, comma, Counselor, or we'll just say a wonderful counselor. Either of which is very sufficient. But we're going to, I think the King James Version, um, or New King James, either one, should use wonderful, comma, counselor. And that's the way we're going to look at it this evening. For, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal or Everlasting Father. And Prince of Peace. Now, in my understanding of Jewish history, the Jews in their worship service would oftentimes go to Isaiah. So they knew the scriptures very well. They knew them quite well, as we see John the Baptist using, quoting from the book of Isaiah in his proclamation of why he came preaching. We see Jesus quoting from Isaiah after he was baptized. We see the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip studying from Isaiah. So we can understand that the scriptures were well known. And so when they read verse 6 and it says, And the government will rest on his shoulders, we can somehow relate to why they thought the Jews of that time, the argument that they were having earlier, why Jesus was coming to set up an earthly kingdom. But this was not so. <clears throat> and so we see that Jesus came setting up a kingdom not of this world. And his name would be called Wonderful. Certainly Jesus is wonderful in everything that he did. He was wonderful in his creation. He was wonderful in his birth, for he came born of a virgin. He was wonderful in his teaching. He was wonderful in his death. He was wonderful in his resurrection and in his ascension. Jesus was all around and without question, wonderful. 
And we also read in the story of Manoah and his wife in Judges chapter 13, verse 18. He said, Manoah asked, what is your name so that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? And God said, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So certainly, this speaking of Jesus, Jesus is wonderful. Isaiah 9.6 also says that he would be counselor. Counselor is one who will speak for you, give you advice or instruction. And certainly Jesus was this to all of us and to those of that day, for he is our advocate, 1 John 2.1. He speaks for us on the day of judgment so that we don't have to. In Matthew, or sorry, um, John 7 verse 46 They said, never a man spake like this man. Why? Because he was a great orator of words. He knew the things which he was proclaiming because the words which he spoke were from above. And so he was the best counselor that there is. He was greater than any counselor today. But he was also mighty God. Isaiah 7.14, just two chapters earlier, uh, says, A virgin shall bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. And we know that this is the same term that Matthew uses. And Matthew actually gives us the definition for the word Emmanuel. What does he say? He says it means God with us. And certainly, Jesus is God with us. For he was God from the very beginning. Jesus says in John 10, or Jesus says in First Timothy 6.15, that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But he's also still the everlasting father. Because in, in John 10, verse 30, he says, I am, the fa- I am the father are one. When you've seen me, you've seen the father. And last but not least, Jesus is prince of peace. For Jesus would remove the enmity that was set between God and man. In the Garden of Eden, when man sinned against God, they were separated from God. And we've been separated from God ever since. But thanks be to God that he made a plan for us long before we were ever born. Knowing that man would fall, he set into action his son. And in the very beginning of the garden, he had an innocent lamb that was shed to cover up Adam and Eve's sins. Certainly setting precedent for Christ to come, for he would be our lamb. And he would cover our sins. And so he removes enmity between God and man. For one day... When we obey the voice of our good shepherd and we follow his instruction, he'll say, enter in, thou good and faithful servant, and he'll give us a crown of righteousness. Philippians 4, 7 says that in Christ we have a peace that surpasseth all understanding, for he is prince of peace. And in heaven we'll have everything in common with one another. We see in the book of Acts 2 that after those who were baptized, they had everything in common. Why? Because they were all ready to serve the Lord. They were given to all, to all those who were in need. They gave everything that they had. And in that day when we reach that heavenly climb, we'll have everything in common once again. And we'll be no more tears, no more heartaches, no more sorrows, no pains. Rather, we'll just have all joyfulness and happiness. And so we see that Jesus is wonderful. He is our counselor. He's mighty God. Everlasting Father, and he's our Prince of Peace.
That is his name. Just as he is the I am, the God of Isaac, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. But what would those are his names, but what would be his title? Flip over, if you will, to Hebrews chapter three. Hebrews chapter three. Starting in verse 1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. The title of Jesus would be our high priest. We today are in his priesthood, and he is our high priest. Brother Randy has recently spoken on all the ins and outs of the high priest. So this evening, let's look in particularly on how he became our high priest. Let's also look in Hebrews chapter 5. We'll read verses 1 through 10. And we're just going to keep these things in our mind. We're not really going to study them in particular, but we want to have them close to our, our minds. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men and things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself is also beset with weakness. And because of this, or because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins, as for the people, so also for himself. And no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. And so also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest, but he who was said to him, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. Just as he also says in another passage, Thou art a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his pity. Pity, Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered, and having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. John the Baptist, he was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. And he was baptizing people unto repentance for the remission of their sins. Uh, This comes from Luke chapter 3, verse 3. The people who would come, they would come confessing their sins. Mark 1, verse 5. And they were always told to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 3, verse 2. Well... What about when Jesus came to him? I have heard in my uh, youth up, which has not been very long, but I've heard several lessons brought about why Jesus was baptized. I've tried to teach others about why Jesus was baptized, and we often go through, well, it's to set precedent for us. Or we'll say he was made to be sin for us, and so he had to make himself equal with man on that account. So that's why he was baptized. Certain things. But I have changed my mind on this opinion. For I believe, and we're going to go through this tonight, of why I think this is the correct answer of why Jesus was baptized. But because this was when he was anointed in his priestly duties. Um, John came baptizing, as we just said, for repentance 
unto repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all those who came, came confessing their sins, and they were told to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Does Jesus meet any of these requirements? Did he have any sins to be forgiven? Did he have any sins to confess? Did he have any need to repent? No, no, no. So, we can see in Matthew chapter 3, verse 14, that John had a particular reaction uh, when Jesus came asking to be baptized. John says, uh, well, in verse 14, but John tried to prevent him saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? See, John doesn't, he realizes, no, uh, you, you're not worthy to be baptized under the reason that I come baptizing. But what does Jesus say? He says, permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So, Jesus allowed his baptism by John. Now, why would he allow it? There had to be something from old scriptures that would fulfill the righteousness which Jesus was seeking. If we go back to Exodus chapter 29, starting in verse 4, he says, Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the doorway of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Now, Aaron and his sons... um, as this whole chapter is the consecration of the priest, or the priest, which is what it's been named, um, this is starting out of what they must do to begin their priesthood. They had to wash with water. So Jesus comes begging to be washed with water. Now, <clears throat> what else happens to Jesus? Is it any coincidence that in Luke chapter 3, verse 23 that it is reported that Jesus was about the age of 30 when he began his ministry. And we know that Jesus began his ministry right after he was baptized. Is it any coincidence? I say no. Turn to Exodus chapter 4, verse 3. Or Numbers, sorry. Numbers chapter 4, verse 3. Numbers chapter 4, verse 3. From 30 and upward, even to 50 years old, all who enter the service to do the work in the tent of meeting. Uh, That's in verse 3. Notice verse 23, from 30 years and upward to 50 years old, you shall number them, all who enter to perform the service to do the work in the tent of meeting. Verse 30, from 30 years and upward even to 50 years old, you shall number them, everyone who enters the service to do the work in the tent of meeting. Verse 39, from 30 years and upward even to 50 years old, everyone who entered the service for the work of the tent, in the tent of the meeting. Verse 43, from 30 years and upward even to 50 years old, everyone who entered the service for work in the tent of meeting. And we see it also in verse 47, 30 to 50 years old. Was it any coincidence that Jesus was 30? No, it was not. For Jesus was 30 because that was the appropriate age of when one would become a high priest. And so, when Jesus says, permitted this time, for in this it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness, it was very fitting that he would become our high priest. And so, also in Matthew 3, verse 15, we're very back and forth here. Matthew chapter 3, verse 15 We see that Jesus, or sorry, I'm backwards. Luke 4, verse 18. Luke 4, verse 18. We see that Jesus is anointed, and he's going to give the reason why. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. I apologize to all those who are taking notes. Mine has a lot of scribbles too. 
Luke 4, verse 18. In the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Underline that word, anointed. He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Okay, we also know that the high priest in verse 7 of Exodus chapter 29, I believe it was, 6 or 7, that they had to be anointed with oil. But they were becoming ready, getting ready to serve in a worldly temple. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And so anointing with oil would be common with every man. So Jesus, how was he anointed? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach for the poor. Um, we see in uh, Matthew chapter 3, In verse 16, And after being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Now, the last thing that the high priests would do in their work would be to offer sacrifices for the sins of their people. And Christ, being the greatest high priest that has ever existed, he offered the greatest sacrifice, and he offered himself. So who is he? Who is he tonight? We've studied it quite thoroughly, but yet there's many more to go. Uh, Brother Randy could preach 2011 all year long on who is he and study each one in depth. But the second question that Saul asked was, What would you have me to do, Lord? And we see the fulfillment of that question in Acts 22, verse 16. He says, Why do you delay? Arise and be baptized, calling on the name of the Lord. And when you're outside of Christ, there is no hope. There is no forgiveness of sins. For He is our great sacrifice and He is our Almighty God. He is the I Am. He is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is the Bread of Life. He is the Door. He is the Good Shepherd. He is the Vine. He is the Way, the Truth, and the Life, the Resurrection and the Life. And He is the Light of the World. Is He the Light of your hearts tonight? If you haven't put Christ on in baptism, why do you delay? Arise and be baptized, calling on the name of the Lord, so that you can have forgiveness of your sins. Come while we stand and while we sing.